But we have a new lighting set up in here. And as long as I don't look up, you guys don't become little black dots. <laughs> but I think, and I'm not sure, that it's a little warmer up here than it is down there. Does it, are you guys like 1,000 degrees or so? Maybe like, all right. They, they build the heat. <laughs> Thank you, Pauline. They build the heaters bigger than the air conditioners in Belvedere. I have no idea why, right? Well, I have a sermon around here somewhere. I should probably use that. I think it's that time of the service, right? Two things. Um, actually, before I get started, see, I made little notes for myself to remember this. Two things. One is, and I'm going to bang on this until we have enough. So if you're like, oh my gosh, when is he going to stop talking about this? When we have enough of these, I will stop talking about it. We need children's workers. We have more kids than we have had since I've been here, and that number is not decreasing, it is increasing as kids are coming because we actually have something for kids, right? I know, shockingly... Shockingly, if you design programs around families and kids and things like that, they, they start showing up. But the other side of that is, is we are now blessed beyond the capacity of the current number of people we have. So if you at all would love to speak into the life of a child, now you are going to have to pass a background check because we're not crazy, okay? We don't, if, you, if you've robbed a bank, at least wait a couple years till it clears off whatever that has to. I don't know if it's like bankruptcy. I don't know. Um, but see Kristen, see Debbie, see myself. We need kids workers. We have all the kids. We love the kids because let me tell you, in a fatherless generation that we live in, if we can be fathers and mothers and just in, in anything we can put into their lives and just, and just help them along the way, we need to do that. Amen? Second thing, and this is something I'm really excited about doing, it's been on my mind for a while, and the fact that it was 70 degrees out yesterday reminded me that it is about time. For those of you that have never been baptized and have had a couple of talk to me about this, or those of you that want to be rebaptized, I do want to do at the end of June a river baptism. And what I want to do, I want to do it after the, after the, the Hebrew mikvah, which let me explain what a mikvah was. In the, in the Jewish family, there was actually, this was pre, before, before Christ, um, if you were going to be adopted into a Jewish family, there was a specific ceremony that they would adopt you into the family, and the last thing was the mikvah, which was the cleansing bath. You guys heard the words unclean from the Old Testament, right? And there were different things, and if you did it, you were unclean, and so there was a ritual you had to perform to become clean again. Well, the same thing takes place both times, and that's the mikvah, or the ceremonial bathing. Now, the rule is, in the Old Testament, that wherever you could, you used living water, meaning water that rushed past, right? If you, you would use a pool when you had to use a pool, but when you could, you would use living water. And so what I want to do is have a living water baptism service at the end of June, beginning of July. So if you are interested in being baptized, I promise you, you will never forget being baptized in a river. Amen? In fact, I'm even going to have someone take a picture because there's a picture of my grandfather baptizing in a river in Arizona in 1946 or 36. I mean, it's in black and white, and he's standing there with his Bible, and I'm going to have Josh out there with the guitar waist deep, you know, just keeping the guitar out of the water, right? <laughs> and we're going to play, and we're going to play hymns, and we are going to have a time. And um, so if you're interested in being baptized, see me, see Deb, so we can kind of get you on the list and start getting that prepared, and we'll come up with a date that works for everybody. Amen? All right. Um, our text today is 1 Peter 3, 13 through 16. I'll give you a second to flip. It's before Revelations, but after Corinthians. What's it in between? I've got it printed out here. 
Half of you are on your phones anyway, and you can just scroll to it. It's not like the old days where we could say, you know, turn to Habakkuk just to see everyone panic, right? Now you just look it up on the phone, and you're right there. So 1 Peter 3, 13 through 16 says, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with all gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Now, I know what you guys are thinking. Wait a second. That's the series you were already doing about 10 questions the world is asking the church needs to answer. Aren't you going to do a cutesy seasonal Easter message about, you know, Easter stuff that everyone's heard every single Easter since they were six years old? No, that's not our church, is it? We're not those kind of people. We are people on a mission. We are people with things to do, and we know that we no longer have time to waste. As the time is upon us, man, our nation is at a crossroads, and how we conduct our lives and how we interact with society and what we do at this point matters. And God will not hold us guiltless if we don't stand in these days and, and preach his name. Amen? Now, I had a great little joke about a tie, but I don't remember the whole joke. I just wrote the word tie down there. So I don't know. It was probably... <laughs> um, gosh, I, I remember it being funny. <laughs> Let me tell you what happens to your mind after 40. Everybody over 40 says it just it does, it does its own thing sometimes, doesn't it? You're going one way and, you're, and it's going the other. Amen. So, today we're going to look to answer a question that a lot of people have asked, and that is, where was God when? And you fill in the blank with this, and you may wonder what this has to do with Easter, but this actually will have something to do with Easter. Let me start with a story of San Diego in the ancient days of 1992. Back then, dinosaurs roamed the earth, programming VCRs to flash 12 o'clock, and we were all waiting for our AOL discs to come at the house, right? Um, actually, that was, 92 was pre-AOL. I was in the military, and I got transferred to San Diego, and um, the thing about it was um, I was on base, and I was coming out of Great Lakes to San Diego. I was going to be in San Diego for about four or five months, and then I was going back to Virginia Beach. So there was no reason to drive a car all the way out west, so I flew out west um, and had no transportation, so you're stuck on base. So San Diego has trolleys, so I'm looking on the trolley maps, and I say, okay, here's a church here, here, and here. Which ones are the closest enough? And I found a church of God that was, or actually it may have been assembly, no, it was Church of God. It was a Church of God, and it was about a mile off the trolley stop. So I knew I could go to that church, take a trolley from the base to there, and then walk about a mile. And that's how I got to church, right? Well, we had prayer meetings on Monday nights. And I was coming back from a prayer meeting late on a Monday night to a trolley stop in San Diego, 9 o'clock at night. And out of the shadows come a couple of guys. Now, keep in mind, um, we were just north of Tijuana. And if anybody's ever heard stories about sailors in Tijuana, they are all true. Um, that's the kind of place Tijuana was or is. I haven't been there in a couple decades. But what I remember was that um, a month before I got there, someone else who had transferred out of Great Lakes a month before I had, had gone down to Tijuana, had gotten drunk, and on the way back had gotten jumped and beaten so bad that he was in the hospital when I got there a month later, right, that he was still in the hospital for that. So that was kind of the context of what I was, what I was coming into. And as I was standing there at the trolley stop, a couple guys come out of the shadow, and I'm wearing a little silver cross, because back then men could wear necklaces, 
I don't know if we still can. I couldn't. I'm not a necklace guy. I'm not a jewelry guy. I don't even have a wedding ring on half the time because I lose them. I'm not good with jewelry. The pocket watch I keep because, it, you know, you pull it out once a week and that's it, right? <laughs> but they walk up to me and they start messing with me, right? They want to get in a fight. You know, they want to they get me riled up. As it happens, I just came out of a prayer meeting. So literally, I mean, if I'm ever going to be in a bad mood or be snarky or be weird, or whatever, I was actually at the best place I could be in this moment with the Lord because I'd just come out of a prayer meeting. Nevertheless, they were kind of picking on me. They were kind of pushing on me. They were asking me questions. And I said, no, man, I'm a Christian. I just came out of a prayer meeting. They're like, oh, you came out of a prayer meeting. You're a Christian or something? I was like, yeah, man, I'm a Christian. They're like, really? And so a guy was holding a bottle. He said, what if I took this bottle and broke it and cut you with it? What would you tell me then? And I looked him in the eye and I said, I'd still tell you Jesus loves you. He said, oh yeah, well, where was Jesus? And I'll finish that in a second. Let's go to Genesis chapter 37. If anyone ever had a reason to ask where was God when it was Joseph. Now Genesis chapter 37 verse 1 says, Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojourning in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pastoring the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilah and Ziplah and his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Joseph already starts off kind of bad. He's bringing a bad report of somebody. Do you know what that means? He's a tattletale. Right. How many of you had a friend at, at, when, you were, when you were little that was a tattletale? Always. How many had a sibling that was a tattletale? Right. I got two out of the three Gomez's back there. Which one of you was a tattletale, right? <laughs> okay. I see one looking around, right, okay. But the thing about Joseph was he was, coming, he was coming out of the context of being the son of Jacob. Now, the thing about Jacob was Jacob was a deceiver, right? Jacob was kind of a con man, kind of a shyster. Jacob was almost always either running from somebody or swindling somebody, Right? He swindled his brother out of his birthright, then he swindled his dad into giving him his brother's blessing. No sooner does he get out of there than he goes to work for Laban, who swindled Jacob, right? So Jacob swindles Laban back by uh, making sure that he gets all the best of the flock so that when he leaves, he's got all the cows. And Jacob's wife gets in on the action because she steals all the household idols, which were, of course, made of the most precious stones and metals that they had at the time. So a big conflict there. And so Jacob, you can almost see... Because of how he was, Joseph wanted to be the exact opposite. Anyone, sometimes kids will follow exactly in their parents' footsteps, and sometimes kids see what their parents do, and they're like, well, I'm not going to do that. The same kind of kid could come out of an alcoholic environment and say, I'm never going to have a glass of beer, I'm never going to drink any wine, and whereas another one will go and become an alcoholic and follow in, right? That sometimes that pattern of behavior. Now, Joseph's problem was he was too honest. Right? Because we see here a second down here in verse 4, it says, But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him. And they could, speak not, they could not speak peacefully to him. Ever had someone in your life that just couldn't speak peacefully to you? Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, he hated him even more. It's one thing to have the dream Joseph had. And the dream was this, that his brothers made sheaves of wheat, and he made sheaves of wheat, and all, the sheaves of, all their sheaves bowed down to Joseph's. So let's, let's make this real. Let's say I'm, I'm 11 years old again and I'm in the house. I'll be even 17. I was in the Navy at 17, so 16. Say I'm 16, my sister's 17, my brother's 13. We're in the house and I call a family meeting. Hey, everybody gather together. Guess what? God says I'm going to be better than you. <laughs> right? I just had this, I had this dream and in my dream, God says I'm going to be better than you. Right? 
How many of you think a prayer meeting, a revival would break out? Praise the Lord, you are going to be better than us, David. Praise the Lord, right? Here's the thing about siblings, by the way, if you don't know this. Your siblings don't mind you doing well. They just don't want you to do better than them. That's all brothers and sisters, right? You want to see your brothers and sisters do well. You just don't want to see them doing better than you, right? Everybody's looking around. I, 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 you know, I love my, I like, you know, as long as we're in the same income strata, you know, roughly, you know, their car's not like really a lot newer than mine or their house isn't twice the size, you know, as long as we're close, right? As long as we can fake it to get through Thanksgiving or Christmas whenever we see them, you know, no, everything's great. My kids are wonderful as they're burning the house down behind you. Never a problem. But Joseph did hear from God at an early age. His problem wasn't a lack of honesty, it was a lack of tact, right? But God gave Joseph this dream for a specific reason, not because this dream was going to be the provision that was going to get him through what he had to go through. A lot of people who are called of God are called of God from a very early age. When I find someone with a calling on their life, with an anointing on their life, they can always remember back to when they were a kid or a teenager, and they just knew God was calling to them. They just had that sense that he was there. In fact, a lot of the times, the reason I think people say things like, where was God when, is because they knew he was there, but the real question is, why didn't he do something? In that moment in which I needed him to do this thing, why didn't God do the thing I needed? Why didn't he do the thing I wanted? Why didn't he? Where was he? We know he's there. People are born with this sense of being watched, this sense of having an other there, of knowing the presence of God dwells among us. But we don't always know know what to do with that. Well, Joseph has a dream, and in that dream, he's bound for greatness. Now, the first thing he's got to get through to get to greatness is his brothers. And as we saw in verse 11, his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in his mind, his brothers were not crazy about him. Often a well-meaning family member will place a yoke on you that you were not meant to bear. And they do that by identifying you. Right? You have your childhood nicknames. How many of you grew out of the name your, your parents and your siblings called you? Right? How many of you had like a little nickname back then and you grew out of it and yet every time you go see them they still have that nickname? Right? And, and you're just like, you're like, nobody calls me that anymore, mom. Nobody calls me that, dad. Right? Especially in your 20s. In your 20s, you're really trying to break away from that. Like, no, I'm this new person. I promise you, I have grown up. I have changed. I am successful. Right? And yet they're your siblings and your mom are and they're still calling you that name. Like, come on. They're placing a yoke of identity on you that you're not always ready for. This is why I say a lot of times it's good in your 20s and 30s to have times where it is just you so you can figure out who you are without all the other voices telling you who you are. I remember for me it was in San Diego, that moment at which I realized I had no food and no money and it was two days till payday or three days till payday. That set off something in my head. Wait, I'm in San Diego. I know nobody in town. I don't have any money and I don't have any food. How does this work? Right? I grew up really fast in those three days. Right? It was the first time the Navy didn't just con, you know, because usually, Kurt, the military will just feed you and clothe you. But it was a TAD. It was a thing where they just give you a per diem. They write you a check up front and you're supposed to know what to do with that. And man, let me tell you about military people. We're not good at saving money. Amen? We just, we're like, usually we just spend it and nothing happens. 
But I had to use that time to figure out who I was apart from him. I remember the first time when I went to church and nobody cared. Right? I went to church, but nobody was checking up on me. Nobody was going to see, hey, are you going to church? No one's waking me up on Sunday. No one's like, hey, when are you going to be there, right? I'm never going to get through this if I don't move on. All right. Um, the first thing Joseph's dream got him was a pit. So what happens with his brother's arm? Joseph says, hey, I'm a lot better than you. God has called me to be so much better than you. My dad even gives me nicer clothes. What is that telling you, brothers, about us, right? Because I'll tell you something about Joseph's coat that's kind of implied in the text is that it actually was a symbol of authority because back then clothes themselves carried an office with them. And so the dad was kind of, by putting that coat on him, putting him above his brother's. And so when his brothers are off shepherding, the dad says, hey, I need you to go find your brothers and relay a message or whatever. And he goes to find them. And when they find them, they see him coming from a long off. And they're like, <sighs> right? You know that, that, that conversation where you walk in the room, everybody stops and looks at you for a second. And you know that it was about you before you walked in. Anybody ever done that? You know, you walk, you know, you're, you know, you're asleep. You, know, you just walk in, everybody, right? And it's you, right? Well, they see him coming from afar off and they decide we're going to do something about this. So they beat him and they throw him in a cistern. They take his coat, they smear it in animal, animal blood. One of the things we don't realize, too, because when we read it through the text, the story goes pretty fast, but it wasn't fast. He was in that pit for a while. It's not like today where, you know, cars are driving by every five minutes. You're talking about back in the pasture lands where they're finding a water cistern and they're waiting for somebody else to happen by. So Joseph wasn't in that pit for like five minutes while they're thinking about it. Joseph was in that pit for a while, long enough that one of his brothers was actually able to talk the others out of killing him. But as it happened, a slave caravan came by and the brothers said, well, let's sell him and then tell dad he died. So Joseph, for all his big dreams now, has found himself first in a pit, and now he's found himself enslaved. He's been sold to somebody. He's on his way out. Dreams take time, and we don't get a cut scene. Do you know what I mean by a cut scene? When I was a kid, I was watching, I, did anybody like Rocky? Anybody watch the Rocky movies back then? Um, I don't know what they were rated, but my parents let me watch that. And they didn't let me watch a lot of stuff, so I'm going to guess and say they were PG, um, at least. But I remember Rocky II came on, cable and I was trying to watch it with my dad and I didn't realize this at the time but if you go back and watch that it's actually a really bad movie okay Mr. T was in it and he was the coolest guy in the 80s right everybody wanted to be Clubber Lang but actually half that movie is Rocky's like I have to do something important then they play the music right now as they play the music he trains and he does sit-ups and he does man I would love it if I could start exercising and play a cut scene and I come out two hours later and I've exercised <laughs> right how great would that be Right? Like you just do a push-up and all, da 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 Five minutes later, you pop up because the song's over and it looks like you've exercised for two hours. Well, see, your dreams don't actually let you do that. And a lot of times you go through things that you think are going to get over pretty quick, but there's no cutscenes in life. And all those long hours of training and all those long hours of going through things, guess what? We actually have to go through them. They're not like microwaves where we can figure out how long it's going to take between when God has said, I'm going to do something for you, and when that thing comes to pass. And sometimes there's a lot of time in between that. Sometimes there's a lot of suffering in between that. Sometimes there's a lot of times where you wonder, where is God in all of this? You said I was going to be this, God. Why am I still here? Right? There was no cut scene. In Genesis 39, Joseph, just making the best of things, ends up with a guy named Potiphar. 
In verse 2 it says, the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man. I like this. Joseph is like, well, this is terrible. I've been sold into slavery. I'm in a foreign land. I might as well do as good a job as I can so I can at least be successful here. So it says, the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and the Lord caused all he did to succeed in his hands. Do you know anointed people are anointed no matter where they're at? Did you know called people are called no matter where they're at? Did you know people that have a purpose on their life given to them by God, no matter where they go, God is going to go with them and prosper them in that place? Doesn't mean it's where you're supposed to be, but it does mean God's going to be with you there. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of all his house and put him in charge of all that he had from the time that he made him overseer of the house and over all that he had. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. And they lived happily ever after. Amen. Right? Oh, see, like I said, we're the advanced church. We're not Church 101. We're at least Church 201 or maybe 301, right? And most of the people here know that the story of Joseph does not end with him happily being successful in an Egyptian's house, does it? Because as it happens, there is dwelling in this Egyptian's house a woman who's not exactly happy in her marriage, and because she's not, she tries to seduce Joseph. Joseph tries to leave, but in doing so, she takes his coat. She accuses him, and the next thing you know, Joseph is in jail. Now, here's the great thing. He should have been executed. According to the law at that time, if he was caught in adultery with the master's wife, the result was not jail. The result was execution. So it says something that Potiphar probably didn't figure that Joseph really was trying to do what he was accused of, that he had him put in jail. So there was at least enough character in Joseph that when the accusations came, they said, well, that doesn't sound like Joseph. But he had to do something, so Joseph ends up in jail. He was probably the most gifted person in jail. Has anyone ever felt like the most gifted person in prison? Well, I know Daniel has, right? Because you're actually in a prison sometimes. So you are the most gifted person there, amen? Sometimes you're in a place in your life that you didn't mean to be, that you don't want to be, that you feel like it's a prison, like you're trapped in that thing, and yet you're gifted and you're called and you're anointed and you're stuck in this place, and it's just like going around on the wheel. Every day is the same, and no matter what you do, it all comes back to just being, and you're like, I know I have a gifting on my life. I know I have a calling. I know God has given me dreams. I know God has said I'm going to be something. And yet you're stuck in this place where it just feels like every day you're the most gifted person in the worst place. I've been there. Man, I said, <laughs> if I could talk of anything from personal testimony, I remember being so down about being so favored in this place that I literally would shut my door and turn off the light and sit on the floor and just beg God to get me out of there. And yet anybody in the company would be like, oh, he's our guy. He is the guy in the company. He is doing his thing. And yet I knew that in my heart there was a call of God on my life, and I wasn't where I was supposed to be, and I would just have to shut my office door and turn off the lights and be like, God, when are you going to get me out? Because I was the most talented person in a prison. The temptation is to accept prison for its security. It's better than the pit. There are worse jobs I could have. Pays the bills, you know, puts food on the table. And yet every day, there we are in our quiet desperation, wishing we were somewhere else, being what God called us to be. The problem with prison is that it's secure. 
That was one of the things about the military that's always really tempting about the military is you know if you stay in, as long as you're not a complete idiot, you will eventually make it up a few ranks, right? Just over time, eventually, they promote you out of frustration. I've noticed that. There were guys in the military that, you know, you just stick around long enough, they'll eventually, you know, and so the, the pay would always be the same. I always said that, um, and this was back in the 90s when this was real money, they offered me 30000 to stay in the Navy at that time, and I thought to myself, I, could, I would be retired by now if I'd have stayed in. I'd be divorced, but I'd be retired, right? I'd be desperately unhappy. I wouldn't be where God wanted me to be, but I'd be a little more financially well off, right? I'd have that box ticked. The temptation is always to accept the security of the prison rather than the risk of the call of God on your life. How much time I got? Five minutes? Ten? Um, I'm kidding. I don't care. In the end, the decision he made to leave was not even his to make, right? He didn't want to leave Potiphar's house. He may have stayed at that job forever. He may have been perfectly happy there, but all of a sudden, this thing came along where he was unjustly accused, fired, and thrown in prison. I've never done my job so bad enough, they put me in prison, Right? I mean, there's, hey, I forgot to clock in on time, and then there's, hey, I burned the company to the ground, and now I'm going to jail. Right? And Joseph looks like one of those guys. He was successful in everything he did, and yet the end result was he was unjustly thrown out of that job. How would you feel landing in that prison knowing that's how you got there? Man, I'd be mad. I know, you'd take it all in stride, right, Mike? You'd be, no, it's cool. It's cool. We're in prison, whatever. Right? That's what Joseph does. Joseph's like, well, I'm in prison. I might as well make the best of it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I hate him, right? He is better than me. Um, <laughs> if I was one of his brothers, I'd be like, come on. You know, be a little mad. Let me, let me hear you yell at somebody, you know? I was thinking that in James the other day where it says, if anyone controls his tongue, the same as a perfect man. I am not. <laughs> Amen? So in Genesis 39, in verse 20, it starts off and it says, And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, to the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it to succeed. Well, I'm in jail, but I'll make the best of it. And you know what happens next, right? Because Joseph knows how to do one thing, and that's to interpret dreams, right? That's how he got into this mess, was figuring out what his dreams meant. Well, as it happens, there's two people in prison who also have dreams. There's a cupbearer, and there's a baker, and they both have dreams. And Joseph interprets those dreams for him. And one of those dreams comes out really bad for the guy, right? And one of those dreams comes out really good for the guy. And he says, hey, when you get out of here, because your dream says you're getting out of here, Remember me, man. Tell the Pharaoh, I'm not here. It's, I shouldn't be here. Right? But then there's this verse in chapter 40, 22 and 23. It says, Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. It's one thing to be unjustly accused. It's one thing to be let go of at his job. He's landed in jail. He's doing the best thing he could there, and then he does good for somebody, the one person that has a chance to get him out. But what does it say? 
He didn't remember them. As soon as he got out of prison, he was so happy to be free, he forgot. He didn't want to associate with anybody back in that old life. And there's Joseph doing the right thing, and for every right thing he does, it just gets worse and worse for him. Where was God when I was thrown in the pit? Where was God when I was sold as a slave? Where was God when I was unjustly accused? Where was God all these years in prison? Because it was two more years let me tell you, I've been having some conversations with God in that two years, you know? I'd be a little upset, Gloria. I'd be like, God, you know I'm down here. You gave me a dream. I know at some point you saw me. I know at some point you can hear me. Why am I still here, God? It's been two years. I've done everything you asked, and yet here I am in the worst possible place, and every time I do something good, something bad comes of it. So not fair. It's so not fair. Did you know that in Proverbs 18, 16, somebody told me this verse once, and I've never let it slip from my mind, that it says, a, gifts, a man's gifts make room for him and brings him before great men. And what that means is the things that God has put in your life will bring you to the place that God has assigned you to be. Now, the problem is a lot of us aren't there yet. Remember I said some people are at their altar and some people are at their tabernacle and some people are at their temple. Most of the people are at the tabernacle. Most of the people are wandering around in the wilderness trying to figure out how to make a right turn and get out of this NASCAR, right? But a man's gifts make room for him and bring him before great men. God has given you those things that will take you to the place that he wants you to be. Now, you may have to hone them, and you might have to get better at them, and there is no training sequence where you magically get better at, let's say, controlling your tongue, or you don't magically get better at ministering to people, or you don't magically get better at knowing how to pray over somebody, and it may take some practice, and it may take some work, but God has already begun that work in you, and somewhere inside of you, you know what that is. And somewhere inside of you, you know in that place where he called you what he has called you to be. Redemption is the purpose of hope. This is my pithy quote if you want to Twitter something from Easter. You know, it's the big joke that pastors got to make a quote where you can Twitter it. And the, your prison wasn't made to hold you, it was made to grow you. Right? Your prison wasn't made to hold you, it was made to grow you. The things that you get stuck in, you're not stuck in because you're supposed to die there. You're stuck in them because you haven't gotten big enough to get out of them yet. Did you know that? But here's the thing, and this is where we get a lot of what we have in the world, is that a lot of people don't pass the test of being able to wait, right? The world is littered with people that got so mad at waiting for God and got so mad saying, God, where were you when all this has happened that all they are now is just bitter and antagonistic and there is no God and God doesn't care and there's nothing out there because when I needed him, he didn't answer me because they failed the test of waiting. The world is littered with people that are bitter and antagonistic and questioning where God is, not because God's not there, but because God didn't do what they asked him to do or what they told him to do. Because sometimes, you know, Jeff, I can, I can tell you to do something and you'll look at me and you'll make a decision, right? And that decision is, can he make me do this thing he's telling me to do, right? And I'm just, right? But if I ask you to do something, then it's a different decision because then it's like, well, you know, I like David. He's a friend. You know, maybe I want to do this for him. Why do we pray like we're telling God what to do? 
Why do we pray to God like we've got all the answers and if he'd just follow our plan, everything would turn out okay? If you would just do what I say, God, and get me out of this thing, then everything would be all right. And then when God doesn't answer our prayer like that, all of a sudden we're the ones standing on the judge's stand saying, you, God, have failed me. When we didn't know his way, we didn't know what he wanted, all we knew is we had a desire and he didn't meet it and that made us mad. Where was God when? Right? But redemption is the purpose of hope. The dream that had died in the pit and the dream that died in prison became the seed of Joseph's redemption. Genesis 41. And we're taking it, <laughs> we're taking it fast. Genesis, Genesis 41 Verse 38 said, And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? So what happens is, guess what Pharaoh has that Joseph is really good at? He has a dream. Well, guess what? The cupbearer seems to remember there was this one guy two years ago I met in jail that right now he'd be useful to me. So all of a sudden he gets pulled out of the miners to bat for the cubs, right? All of a sudden he was way down here, but all of a sudden now he's standing in front of the Pharaoh because no one else could figure this out. And let me tell you something about ancient Egyptians. They had books and manuals on libraries on how to figure out what this meant in a dream and what this meant in a dream and what this meant in a dream. That was actually a study in ancient Egypt was if I dream about a stick, it means this if i dream about a son it means that and yet none of the wise men could answer the question and so joseph steps up and he says i know what the answer to this is and he correctly interprets the dream and so pharaoh looks at him and says the pharaoh said to his servants can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of god and the pharaoh said to joseph since god has shown you all this there is none so discerning so wise as you are you shall be over my house and all my people and shall order them and you shall order themselves as you command only as regards to the throne will i be greater than you can you imagine right that when he lost when he got thrown in the pit when he got fired from Potiphar's, when he got thrown in jail, that all of that was leading him to this place where he would have a chance to stand before Pharaoh and give out that thing that God had put in him as a 17-year-old kid that I know what it means when God speaks. I know what the word of the Lord is saying to you. I know what he's trying to get across. And all of a sudden he has this moment and he becomes one of the greatest people in the kingdom. But this is not the point of the redemption that God's about to show Joseph, is it? It's not the end of the story. It's not being successful. It's not getting to that place. It's not making that much. It's not owning this or owning that, right? Because his family's in danger. Because while he's in Egypt and he's talking about there's going to be good years of good and there's going to be years of famine and we have to store up for the years of famine and so he instructs the Pharaoh to build grain houses so that when the famine comes they'll have enough food but his family is out there in the wilderness and they're about to starve to death so they send the brothers to Egypt to beg for food. And who do they run into? The one person that God gave a dream to and said, you've got something in you, Joseph. You've got greatness in you. And all those years in the pit and all those years working for Potiphar, because you know what? He was, he was probably more gifted than Potiphar. Did you know that? He was probably smarter than his bosses. He probably knew more about the company than his boss did because he was the one running it, right? And yet he got fired from that job. 
And he got thrown in jail and he got everything taken away from him. And even there, he tries to do the best thing. And yet for years, he sits in the same place. But all the while, God has got a plan. And a lot of times when we say, where was God when? It's because we're looking at this small little piece of his plan that we can see, not understanding all of the things that he wants you to be and he wants you to become, not understanding the greatness that God has put inside of you so that one day when the time comes that for such a time as this, He has prepared you, his servant. The same gift Joseph knew as a child finally had its full revelation. John 12, 24 says, Unless a kernel of wheat fall to the ground and die, it cannot sprout and bring forth much fruit. And I always hated that because that verse always comes to me when something's about to die, right? When there are things, you know, and this is something, we, we do this in church all the time. We'll have a ministry or something that we did a long time ago, and well, it used to work, and it, we used to do it this way, and we just keep that thing going, and we keep it on life support for a long time. And sometimes you've got to let something die so that God can grow it back up. Sometimes you've got to let go of some things in your life so that God can do something with that. Sometimes we're so holding on to what God did that we can't be a part of what He's doing. Amen? And in your own life, there are times where you're going to have dreams and you're going to have things that you know you feel called to and people are going to take away your identity. They're going to beat you down. They're going to put you into prisons of work or places where you don't feel like you're being, you're being utilized. For, <laughs> using words, um, Kristen would make fun of me for that. Um, you guys are allowed to too if I use too big of words. Um, it's a thing. You get to these places where you think you know what God wants to do with you. We get into situations where we feel like God has abandoned us, but he never called us to those situations. My, <laughs> I'll skip that. Joseph's redemption wasn't becoming Pharaoh's right hand, it was his brother's return. Redemption is the happy ending. Every person's life is a story, but if you do not have Christ, then you'll never know what the story is. That's why we live in a world that doesn't believe in happy endings, right? Nowadays, if they make a movie, it can't just be, you know, a good versus evil. All the good people have to be kind of bad, and all the bad people have to be kind of good, and there has to be a lot of moral gray and things like that, because the world understands nothing of a happy ending except that the person of Jesus Christ came one day and died for us. Did you know Easter was not made for spring? I hear this whenever it comes around to a holiday, they always talk about pagan roots and things like that. Well, the holiday used to mean this and the holiday used to mean that. Let me tell you something about Easter. Easter was not made for spring, but all of creation was built so that at this time of the year, when we saw life coming from death, when we see plants that are dead spring back to life and come out of the ground and all of a sudden the birds are singing and all the air, it's to remind us that God was going to come and lay down his life for us and he was going to rise again and even before man fell and even before that first time you ever felt sin in your life he had already built a plan to revive you and redeem you and bring you back to life before you ever stumbled he was already ready to pick you up before you ever fell he already had a plan to get you back don't miss the plan because you're in a time of waiting don't miss the plan because you're in your time of waiting It doesn't come all at once. So I was standing there. He said, where was God when my brother died? 
it was funny because that's not what he intended to happen, I'm sure. And listen, if you think I'm smart aleck now, you should have known me at 19. Um, <laughs> this is the softer, gentler me. Um, but I could tell when someone's hurting. And I could tell that the Lord was working on them. He said, where was God when my brother died? And I looked at him in the eye and I said, you know God was with your brother every second until he left. You know God never left your brother's side. You know God wanted your brother to come into heaven with him. And so the guy that had come there to beat me up turned around and ran away crying. When you walk with the Holy Spirit, you don't have to pack, you don't, you don't have to carry anything else, right? Um, I always joke with Kristen, I know God always protects me. I don't know if that covers her. Um, she doesn't like that joke either. <laughs> Let's go to Romans 5. I'm going to close with this. Romans 5, 1. Let's go back to verse 1. I, didn't ha- I wanted this in the, new, in the New American Standard in the King James and in the ESV. It uses the word put to shame, but I want, to, I want to see how it says here. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We are happy that we have hope. Go ahead. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. How many of you rejoice in your sufferings? How many of you are just like, man, I can't wait to suffer this afternoon. That'd be great. Really use some suffering. And yet suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. That going through all of that and coming out of it and waiting with God long enough to see that he is going to make sure his word does not return void, that going through all of that produces hope. And verse 5 says, and hope putteth not to shame. I read it in the New American Standard because it says, and hope does not disappoint. And just, you know, I wrote that on every piece of paper and every Bible I had. And when I was going through some dark times, I'd pull that little piece of paper out and look at it. And it would say, and hope does not disappoint. Because I knew that my family was going through some bad stuff. I knew my friends were going through some bad stuff. I knew I wasn't where I was supposed to be. But the one thing I also knew was that hope does not disappoint. It doesn't put you to shame. You don't have to go back and say, you know, I waited on the Lord and he never came. If you wait long enough, he will. And while you're waiting, you build endurance. And when you build endurance, you build character. And when you have character, have hope. What happened to you either came to destroy you or came to lead you to redemption, but you get to decide which. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Praise team, if you want to come and do a song. Do old rugged cross. <laughs>